to go Traveling my whole life Going on the road Loving everywhere I go Love it when I'm with you I miss you when I'm gone I love it when I'm coming home Today's guest on the podcast is London-based poet Daniel Tobias Behan. Daniel is the son of the late writer Brian Behan and the nephew of Irish songwriter Dominic Behan and one of Ireland's greatest writers, Brendan Behan. He carries on their great literary legacy today with his own body of work, which spans a wide range of themes. In our conversation, Daniel talks about the influence his forefathers have had on his own writing, his relationship with his dad and the experience of growing up second generation Irish. Daniel Behan, welcome to the London Calling podcast, your fifth guest. Um, so I'll start off by um, just prefacing this with uh, how you came into contact with uh, the Irish Post. Yeah, you had um, you've been writing poetry for quite a few years now, and you had a reading in the London Irish Centre before Christmas. You dropped in some of your poetry here, which made its way onto my desk, and which you're going to read some of for us uh, during the conversation today. Um, so could you tell me a little bit about why you started writing and and what? Um, inspired you to first, I guess, pick up the pen? Thanks, Ryan. Um, it was actually, uh, I actually started writing as a child. I would um, just write a lot of, I guess you would call it kind of um, poetry, po- prose type stuff. And, um, and then I kind of went off it for a few years as a teenager. And I was still studying literature. And uh, then in my uh, 20s, I got back into it and started writing a bit again. But uh, unfortunately, around that time, um, I just lost both of my parents, which was a, a big loss for me. And uh, the, the writing that I was doing wasn't all that good at the time. And it was really, uh, I'd say, really incredibly self-indulgent. And just I was just trying to make it as abstract as possible. Really. <laughs> so then I had a bit of a break after that. And I think, I think that was a, a good idea because, um, yeah, it was when, I, when I came back to it and... Uh, 2016 I just um, it seemed to seem to be flowing out a lot better and uh, I seem to be getting ideas and managing to translate those ideas onto onto the page uh, which definitely um, it seemed more yeah it seemed more like how I'd been writing as a, as a small child until mm. uh, about around about eight nine ten uh, I would just literally just sit there and just write pages and pages of of um of work and uh it seemed to be like i had a break where that window whatever you want to call it, that creative window was kind of uh closed off maybe and then it kind of reopened again for me so it's really thank god yeah thanks did reading your um works from your your dad brian and your uncles dominic and and brendan um inform much of the writing that you were doing at that early stage like were you consciously trying to um, I guess, uh, draw from some of their work? At the early stage, I'm not sure. I mean, I grew up in the house with all the books, so I was definitely reading... Uh, I remember reading Borstal Boy at a very young age, and uh, my dad's um, had a no- novel. Uh, he he helped my grandmother write her autobiography, um, Mother of All the Beans. Uh, I remember reading that, and also he then uh, did a... A novel which was loosely based upon that called Kathleen. I 
when that was released in about 1987. And so I would have been reading all this stuff, but I wasn't, I wasn't consciously trying to emulate it. Uh, I guess it's just one of those things, you know, it's like if you, I guess if you grow up in a family full of footballers, you know, you, you just pick it up along the way and it's just kind of mm. like that's uh, that kind of thing, I guess. But I, I don't remember at that stage consciously wanting to emulate them. It was just, I just wanted to go off into my imagination and get, it's all kind of like magical stories and stuff like that. So yeah. that's and you were you were born here in in the UK. Obviously, your dad had come over here in the nineteen fifties, as you told me. Um, so obviously, for that for that reason, you were raised as second generation Irish. Um, how aware were you of that growing up, and um, what kind of Irish traditions did your dad like instill in your upbringing? Uh, I would have to say that. In some ways, he didn't. I mean, he what he um, although uh, yeah, although my grandmother's brother had written the national anthem and all that, he, we wouldn't. He would he wouldn't necessarily uh, get us to sing Irish songs or do kind of Irish things. But he would. He was a storyteller, and he was very heavily involved in writing in in the theatre. So we would be constantly going to. Hear live music, live Irish music. What um, watch plays, you know, written by Irish people, uh, featuring Irish people. Uh, so it was very much, yeah, it was very much connected to music and theatre. That was kind of my so the acts. Yes, yes, and many many of their friends were Irish actors and Irish writers. So uh, uh, that that was that was kind of like my Irish community. I guess it was all very much connected to the. Uh, yeah, to the theatre and to the arts, which was uh, which was why I think I found it when I did the reading at, at the uh, London Irish Centre uh, as part of this uh, Celtic uh, crack night. It was really, uh, yeah, it was really emotional because, and I think it must have just been those memories flooding back. Also, my older sister Janet was an actress, uh, so I'd been going to see her in plays throughout my childhood, and she came along, uh, along with my sister Lindsay. And some some uh, some good friends as well were there, and uh, like a yeah. little bit of a reunion. So I guess absolutely a reunion, yeah, family uh, reunion, and uh, but also, yeah, just really reminded me. I didn't I didn't realize how important that was to me, you know, because you kind of forget, mm. especially with my parents passing away. It was just kind of like uh, I. Yeah, it's like my connection to that world kind of seemed to uh, well, it did physically disappear, I guess, because my yeah, it was really traumatic, you know. So, so. And your dad had a fascinating, um, you know, we you know from reading his 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 works that he had a fascinating upbringing in Ireland. You know, it was in yes. the time of the uh, you know the nineteen sixteen rising, the, the civil war. Um, what stories did he tell you growing up of and your sister of of that um, of that the experiences from his childhood back in Ireland? I mean, he said it was pretty rough. You know, he said it was pretty rough back then. I mean, uh, uh, as we were talking about beforehand, uh, especially with um, Brendan, and I, I noticed it actually, in a, there's an edition of a, a book, I think like a 1982 edition of one of his books, and it even repeats it here, but there's this kind of myth around Brendan uh, that he came from, he literally just came from a slum and then just suddenly started writing out of nowhere. But actually, uh, you know, he he came from a very very cultured 
um, artistic intellectual family mm-hmm. and uh, but they just happened through circumstance to be in quite bad pov- poverty for for a number of years and yeah my dad said it was it was really really tough mm-hmm. uh, a lot of fighting a lot of uh, a lot of uh, a lot of um, happiness as well and um, his father especially would read the classics to the family as a whole and there was a lot of music and you know, so it's kind of a real mixture. But one of the fascinating, fascinating things that you told me was that your grandmother Kathleen was um, acted as a courier for some of the leaders of the Rising during Easter Rising Week. Yes. So they were, um, you know, there were members of your family that were um, like participating in in uh, like that moment of history, which is yes, it's amazing. Yeah. And so, moving on from that, you mentioned also that. Uh, there were certain th- certain things in your dad's um, upbringing that um, you know stayed with him for the rest of his life, and one of those was his experiences in uh, the industrial school back in Dublin. Um, what could you tell me about about what he told you about that? Yes, uh, my father was uh, sent to Artane Industrial School uh, for I think it was a very minor petty crime. Uh, and yeah, so he was he was sent there, and uh, at the time, from what I can tell about this um, place, Artane, it had a certain public image to it, um, uh, which yeah, uh, which was that it was essentially like a a place which would give apprenticeships to orphans and to uh, you know boys who'd been in trouble, and it would give them a chance to to go into this school and to kind of better themselves. Mm. And I think there's a small element of truth in that. I, I mean, I think my father got came out qualified as a, I think as a baker. Uh, but unfortunately, the other side of that is that it was run effectively as a workhouse and uh, the kids were used as unpaid labour. And uh, there's a huge amount of neglect and uh, abuse that happened there. And... Um, I mean, my father used to tell some stories about that in kind of in jest, but they were actually it was the reality of what happened. And uh, he would say that you weren't allowed to call, uh, <laughs> you weren't allowed to re- refer to your certain parts of the body, and you would have to call them your finger and all this kind of stuff. And it was mm. just really, really odd. Uh, and this would have been at the same time as all the, you know, unfortunately, the sexual sexual abuse and everything would have been going on at the same time. Uh, so it's this real kind of uh, cognitive dissonance, and I think that really, along with the violence, would have really uh, disturbed some of the well, the majority of the boys there. And he 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 would also say that this two boys had been caught together once, and they were um, they had their heads shaved, and then they were had a placard placed. Both of them had a placard place around their neck and uh with the words on it uh i'm in i am impure do not touch me do not speak to me and they were forced to go around like that for god knows how long you know so it's really harrowing st- yeah stories, nasty yeah. stuff yeah you know he would try to joke about it but he would admit how, how upsetting it would be yeah yeah i can exactly imagine um you mentioned as well that you know there's often a perception of specifically brendan uh you know, coming from immediately from a working class or, or you know, a slum in Dublin yeah. and just picking up a pen yeah. and writing about it. Whereas in reality, you know, they, you know, they came from a, a certain level of a cultured uh, upbringing. Mm. 
Um, but they were very much known as both Brendan, uh, Dominic and your dad were very much known as kind of voices of the working class um, and, you know, spoke a lot on behalf of the working mm-hmm. class in their writings were very politically uh, engaged, um, which is something I've noticed in, in reading some of your um, your work um, commentating on, on current uh, affairs. Um, would you mind reading one of the um, poems that we mentioned? Of sure. your choice. Would you like me to begin? Yeah, with that would be, okay. be good. Uh, so this is a poem. It's uh, an entirely fictitious poem based on a, an imaginary uh, president of the US, possibly, or another, <laughs> another state, but he's called uh, Ronald Strump. Uh, I don't know who that could be. <laughs> God knows. Uh, <laughs> so it's called The Ancient Rhyme of President uh, Strump. With garnered dosh from daddy's death, Thus played the business king. With hotels tall and towers all, his praise own would he sing. But towers tall near truth could hide. He cared for but one thing. So stepped did he to stand and speak, to crowd at rally great. So fetid looked he, pink and weak. The end seemed soon his fate. But many thronged, and each they longed, to hear his tongue berate. Was filled his mind with thoughts of pride and words of right and might. Yet scared his heart of being hurt, his pulse beat fast with fright. And so he formed an angry face to mask his fears from sight. He scratched his nose and wiped his mouth, the mouth that spat forth hate. His blonde hair flapped, the crowd they clapped. He spewed from seven till eight. He leaned and leered the crowd they cheered, each shameful word he'd state. He spoke in racist lies of smut, alternative to fact. He lied and lied and lied again, a hall of mirrors cracked. He'd built his house from sheer deceit, foundations, bricks all stacked. So onward Ronald walked his road, his path of hurt and hate. As false lips flapped, he had merely crapped his filth upon each state. He leaned, he leered, and hoped they feared his words. They hid berate. Sounds very familiar, that President <laughs> Ronald Trump. So can you tell me a bit about um, how that came about, the writing of that poem? Yes, well, thanks. Uh, it was, yeah, so it, obviously it may have been based on a certain current events, but it was, uh, so the the way I wrote this one, I think it was vaguely inspired by uh, Ballad of Reading Jail, mm-hmm. Oscar Wilde, with the uh, with the meter and the rhyme scheme. Uh, so I think I was reading that, and I tried to I tried to vaguely count the uh, the meter of it, and uh, obviously it's an entirely different uh, subject and poem. But then um, what I did is I just I kind of devised a little plan for it and uh, thought about what I'd say in each uh, stanza and then just just wrote it. Yeah, so. is that kind of the typical writing process for most of of your of your poems, or does it does it vary in you try and explore different styles? Uh, I do vary and try to explore different styles, but um, I think if I'm yeah if I'm doing it with a set amount of uh, stanzas, then I would, yeah, I would kind of write out a little plan beforehand and uh, it just helps me to, to 
keep it clear, I guess, yeah. Um, we touched on the political uh, writings of, of, of Brendan Dominic and, and particularly your dad as well. Um, your dad was quite involved in, in uh, some communist parties that existed in the UK before and, and involved in socialism and actually travelled, I read, to, um, to Russia in, uh, it was 50s or 60s, is that right, when, around the time you come to the UK? Uh, early 1950s, yeah. Okay, yeah. and he said that he had met uh, Joseph Stalin on his travels. He, he met Stalin the Mao, yeah. Wow, what did he yeah. told you about those experiences? Um, I th- I think he I think he said that he he could see that it um, it was definitely unfair when he went over to visit because I think at the time uh, in Europe and it's, I think especially in Dublin at the time there was uh, a huge admiration for uh, for communism and for socialism uh, but a, a direct admiration for uh, Lenin and Stalin and uh, Obviously, there's a huge amount of propaganda that was coming out of uh, of Russia and, like, uh, I, I guess China as well at the time, and uh, that was all taken as as fact, I guess. Uh, and I, I suppose not not just in Dublin, but across you know different communist groups across the world. Uh, they really saw it as this amazing thing, you know, the the veneration of the of the proletariat mm-hmm. and. Um, but I think when my father went over, he he started to see the reality. You know that it was it was quite unfair, and he said especially in um, when he went to have um, dinner with Mao and his associates, he said that it was uh, you know the disparity. They were literally living it up, complete luxury, and then outside it was people starving on the street. You know, so uh, and I think it was a couple of years after. I think it was. Around 1956, uh, he left left the communists. Yeah, so he would have been quite disheartened by his experience. He was incredibly, yeah, he was, yeah. So much so that it started to put him off his involvement in. <laughs> you say that it's it's hard to tell. I think he in his heart he always remained. Uh, uh, I do remember having a conversation with him, and he was he would still defend Stalin. You know, even even despite all this, and I I, I once had the cheek to say to him that maybe, you know, Stalin had killed the old person. But uh, <laughs> he, he then said, oh, well, you know, they, they, you always had a pair of shoes on your feet at the start if you were under Stalin, you know. So. <laughs> that is whether, whether your feet would be alive at the point. I can, say that, I can imagine that was an interesting debate. Yeah, yeah. Um, in a Times article that I read, your dad uh, com- often complained uh, that the surname... Behan was something of an incubus and raised expectations of at least eccentric, if not downright unruly behaviour. Is that something uh, that has carried through into your life? Is that something you've ever experienced based on the reputation of uh, your forefathers, we'll call them? I think, I, I think it was something that I was aware of. Um, and it was maybe something which put me off writing a bit when I was younger because there, there seemed to be such a level of... Uh, fame and with in some people's eyes no notoriety uh and i noticed the shift actually i think there has been a shift in it i think it was around the time of the uh my my sister janet's play uh on brendan and then um the celebrations for his the 50th anniversary of his passing in 2014 
uh, yeah, and there does seem to have been this shift from looking at the kind of the antics, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and the eccentricity, and actually looking at the circumstances, looking at the reality of it, you know, seeing that, you know, Brendan had had a very um, difficult childhood in many ways and uh, had a very serious drinking problem and ended up developing diabetes as well and uh, was essentially an incredibly nervous, shy man who drank to to overcome that. Uh, he'd been, got involved in political stuff when he was younger but really I think he'd, he'd, he'd done that almost out of a sense of duty rather than wanting to mm. you know it was uh his character was very shy very poetic i guess and very uh yeah just very down to earth and uh yeah so i think i think there has been a shift and i think i think it's good because i don't think um caricatures and stereotypes necessarily help you know uh, mm. just to think of people in those terms so it's just... and moving from brendan to to your other uncle dominic um, one of the things I had read about about Dominic was some of the admirers that he had throughout his music career and his writing career. Um, one of which was John Lennon, and I read a quote that Yoko Ono um, said that he used to sing Dominic's song "Liverpool Lou" to his son as a baby, um, as a lullaby. When you read um, stuff like that, I guess people of that stature um, holding members of your family in such high regard, how does that? make you feel yeah again i think it's uh it's amazing really and it's uh it's very i find it very inspiring it's very it's very amazing to hear and again you know i think that the fact that there has been now this gap um unfortunately you know uh seamus the last of the remaining beings passed away a couple of years ago as well so it's kind of like that generation has unfortunately gone now and it's it's nice to have nice to have uh their influence live on you know and to be to, uh, i remember watching the uh, performance of the old triangle at the, the royal albert hall a couple of years ago and that was just amazing you know and it's uh yeah it's, it's is very, that the one with uh glenn hansard and a group of things so, yeah. musicians yeah, yeah that's, that's it, fantastic yeah, yeah. um tough question but if you had to pick uh, maybe not a favorite work, but a work that you keep returning back to of of from your from your father or even Brendan or or Dominic. Um, what would it be and why? I think probably Borstal Boy. Really? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Uh, I mean, it's just such an intense, an intense piece of writing, you know. Uh, real that real kind of street vernacular and just capturing all the different accents of the different prisoners and the screws and just the the, it's almost like you know it's almost like being there and hearing it you know Um, yeah I think it's really really impressive uh, piece of work yeah Yeah, I presume you've seen the movie the adaptation of the book I've watched bits of it I think my dad went along to the opening of it Mm. I think that was shortly before my dad died. Uh, I don't think I've seen the whole thing, unfortunately. But uh, I think it was very loosely based. Yeah. So it's uh, it's very cleaned up and uh, 
Yeah, so it doesn't, I don't think it has much swearing in it, not much fighting and swearing in it, so it's kind of quite different. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> stars Danny Dyer as well, which it may does. be strange <laughs> casting, but uh, yeah, I'm yet to see it myself, but as I mentioned to you, uh, having just moved over here like six months ago or so, um, one of the first books I picked up was Sports to the Boy, and mm. um, I just found it like really comforting to read because being away from home, that's vernacular and the street language is something that like I mentioned to you I've grown up with and that a lot of you know uh, older generations still use in Ireland and it'd be sad to see it you know dissipate because it's it's uh, a lot of that phraseology and and, and, the, and the kind of the way that Brendan speaks in his writing at least. When did Brendan pass away? Uh, 1964. Yes yeah, so you, you wouldn't have had a chance to, to actually meet Brendan but had you the chance to meet Dominic? I don't recall I think I think he maybe passed away in 1989, okay. I think, I'm not 100% sure of that, but um, I don't recall meeting Tommy. I met. I remember uh, Beatrice Brendan's, my aunt Beatrice Brendan's wife, uh, so going to visit her, and I met my grandmother Kathleen briefly, but I don't remember it because I was a baby at the time. Yeah, so, of course. Uh, yeah. Uh, so my connection to all of that was primarily through my dad, I guess. Yeah. My dad and the people that my dad knew, you know. Considering it's, actually I found out this morning, it's World Poetry Day today. So oh, okay. It's, it's quite fitting that wow. you came in for the conversation <laughs> today. Um, could you read one final uh, poem, possibly um, one of the sonnets that you mentioned? Yeah, sure. So this um, this poem, I wrote, wrote it in a similar method, I guess, to the to the last poem, but it's just, uh, yeah, like, it's it's not supposed to be overly political, but it's just uh, a bit of a commentary, I guess, and an observation, yeah, so it's uh, called The Poor Man. A poor man sat alone on freezing stone, his fingers bare through mittens woven short. As Simon walked on by toward his home, the poor man's stomach empty, food he sought. This cold and threadbare fellow glanced above, with simple aim of catching Simon's eye, as hungry as he was, and needing love, he dared not ask a word for food to buy. When Simon saw the humble fellow's look, he felt a quiet anger stir within. His shiny shoes and dapper threads he took as reason for this wretch's feeble grin. So quickened Simon's footsteps homeward bound, where cold and hungry souls would not be found. Very good, Daniel B. And thank you for coming on the Lumen Cotting podcast. And uh, good luck with everything in the future. Thanks, Ryan. Cheers Thanks very much. That was Daniel Tobias Behan chatting to us here at the Irish Post offices in London. You can find more of Daniel's work at danieltobiasbehan.wordpress.com. I'd like to thank Daniel for taking the time to chat with me and you, the listener, for tuning in. The next episode will be posted in two weeks. So until then, take care.